Hello, I'm Rose Pierre-Louis, Chief Operating Officer of the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research at New York University. Welcome to a new episode of Black Boys and Men, Changing the Narrative. Our guest for this episode is the mayor of Little Rock, Arkansas, the Honorable Frank Scott Jr. Little Rock is truly a living symbol of triumph over inequality as embodied by the Little Rock Nine students who bravely faced a governor's wrath and needed protection by federal troops in order to integrate Central High School. The city faces the future with Frank Scott Jr. as its leader, a banker, a former state highway commissioner and a pastor, and of course, a native son. Like the city he grew up in, Frank Scott Jr. is a history maker as Little Rock's first elected black mayor. Congratulations on becoming Little Rock's first black mayor. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. So talk to us about what it's like to uh, be a first and what this milestone uh, means for you as a native son and all the experiences that you've had here in Little Rock. Well, I think uh, one of the things that we made uh, very apparent uh, on the campaign trail was that uh, I was a son of the city, uh, but I wasn't running to be the first elected black mayor of our city. I was running to be mayor of Little Rock and wanted to make that certain uh, as we charted towards uh, a new North Star for our city. Uh, And that was a uh, campaign based on unifying our city, moving from being disconnected to connected, and focusing on real change, uh, where we would have positive disruption uh, to make certain, uh, no matter the neighborhood you lived in, uh, that you could move from surviving in our city to thriving. It's fantastic. I love that. So, I want to. I'm going to get more into your vision for the city and and your really. Um, eclectic background and how all of those come together Mm. to uh, run a great city like Little Rock. But I'm really interested in hearing about your childhood. And um, we got to go there. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. Um, So take us back to your your childhood and what it was like growing up here in Little Rock. Sure. Uh, So uh, one of the things I often say was uh, born, raised and still reside in southwest Little Rock. Uh, Literally live um, two to three, maybe four minutes away from uh, my mother. Um, and, and to understand the city of Little Rock is to understand that uh, Southwest Little Rock had a lot of uh, negative connotation mm-hmm. towards it uh, as a poor area of town, an uh, area uh, that was synonymous with crime. Um, and many would often uh, think that wouldn't be able for uh, a first black elected mayor to come from Southwest Little Rock. Uh, but I have so much pride in this area of town because it's so many of us that are um, great individuals uh, that come from that area and we have to fight off uh, that negative uh, perception is one of the main reasons why I decided to remain uh, in my hometown area of the city and not uh, go to more affluent areas as I could have uh, but wanted to make certain that you never know what you can be until you actually see it. And so I wanted to make certain, particularly with our young black boys, uh, that they saw a man uh, walking out of 
uh, his house with a suit and a tie um, is able to uh, purchase a home, purchase a vehicle and not have to do it with drugs or any type of gang violence from that standpoint. Uh, I often think about uh, how really apparent it was to me the impact of just remaining where you come from and not forgetting because uh, so many of us sometimes do forget where we come from. Uh, I'll never forget. It was one of those days uh, I think was pretty uh, providential uh, is that I was late for work. And you never know that, you know, children and, and young black boys are actually paying attention to what's going on. And I was late for work and I'm piddling around the house and my doorbell rang and it was a young black boy. Uh, he probably was in the sixth grade or so. Uh, and he asked, uh, first I'm like, who's, <laughs> I'm late. How they know I'm here? Cause my garage is down <laughs> type of thing. And as this young black boy, he asked me to take him to school cause he, yeah, he missed his bus because he overslept because his parents had got up pretty early to go to work. Uh, but the very fact that he, you know, tried to see if I was still at home. Mm. Uh, to still go to school because he could have chose not to go to school. Absolutely. And it's one of those things that uh, we have to understand that our children are looking at everything that we do. Uh, and we have to pay attention to that and know how we can have such a changing effect in a positive way. So did you take him to school? I did. I, oh, did. I love that. <laughs> I, not and everyone I, gets their mayor to take them to school. Well, the- I wasn't a mayor at this point oh, in time. Okay. This was uh, okay. during the... Uh, campaign, uh, but I also I admonished him. I was like, okay, so while you was oversleep, I ain't right. gonna tell your mama this time, but make sure this happens again. Uh, but just being uh, from that area, I think it, it gives a lot of perspective because I, I was someone that's kind of hard to pin down or pigeonhole. Because on one end, I was I wake I woke up every morning in Southwest Little Rock, but drove every day to West Little Rock, which is a more affluent area as a banker. And I truly could see the disparity of our city and how divided we were, how disconnected we were. Uh, But also I'm an associate pastor and understanding from a faith community standpoint uh, and then being a former uh, political advisor to senior advisor to Governor Mike Beebe. uh, I've I've just had so many great experiences and and a blessing to be a part of that that I think has kind of molded me uh, to be uh, in this position. So let me ask you this question. I love the fact that young people felt comfortable enough to ring your doorbell and it really speaks volumes how you were perceived as a leader in your community so it's not surprising that when you ran for office that you had that kind of support my question is when you were a young man did you ever dream that you would be elected mayor no um i I hate to confess but i never even wanted to go to college Mm. uh I grew up uh, where uh, my mother was 14 when she had my older sister, and my older sister and I about four or five years apart. Uh, and my mom still graduated from high school uh, as a single mother at the time, met my father, uh, then shortly after I came. Uh, and so neither of my parents had uh, anything more than a high school education. Uh, and it was one of those things where I didn't see college as a future for me and never crossed my mind. Uh, however, my mother did. <laughs> and uh, she basically made me go to college. Uh, and so um, I still at that point in time for me going to college, it was an ends to a means. It was just to, uh, to check that box. So I could go get a job and, and pay some bills. Uh, but uh, it was but for when I went off to college at the University of Memphis, where my life really changed, where uh, I had this spark of public service. Uh, and through that, 
uh, was through a, uh, I know you're a Delta. And so I was able to campaign for a very pioneering, pioneering woman by the name of Lois Deberry, who was uh, one of the first women legislators in the state of Tennessee. Uh, and she really instilled a lot of me just by me watching her. Uh, as, as it relates to public service. Uh, but even at that point in time, I knew I wanted to come back home uh, and to serve. Uh, but never did I think about running for mayor at that period of time until I really got more cemented in public service here in the city of Little Rock. Thank you. Um, I want to talk about um, your connection to the church. Uh, you are a lifelong member uh, and associate pastor at Greater Second Baptist Church. So talk to us about how your faith and ministry imp- uh, influence your approach to governing? Well, um, I think uh, anytime, one is, I think it's good to know that I kind of started late in the ministry. I was uh, probably 28. Now, granted, I'm only 35 uh, uh, from that period in time. 35? I'm 35. Uh, You're probably like one of the youngest mayors in the country. Uh, I, th- I think maybe, maybe. But I think it may be a couple more um uh, Mayor uh, Tubbs in Stockton, California is the youngest mayor. I think he was 29 when he got elected about a year or so ago. Uh, and he he's, uh, does a phenomenal job. But yes. So uh, you're a millennial? I am a millennial. Those millennials. <laughs> well, the good thing, the interesting thing about millennials, what you're starting to see, uh, particularly in the South, uh, is a cadre of uh, millennial mayors. I mean, when you think about uh, myself in the city of Little Rock, uh, you have Randall Woodfin in the city of Birmingham. Uh, you have Adrian Perkins in, in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, um, uh, Chokwe Lumumba in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, but even more so just millennial leadership, which you're starting to see uh, across the South. Every uh, city, major city in the deep South is now uh, being led by African-Americans. Uh, and, and what we are committed to do is to really be a catalyst for the new South, to reimagine, to reinvent and to dispel negative perceptions uh, about the South. I think that's fantastic. It's also very exciting to see that it's not for what I think millennials are doing is that they're like, I'm not going to wait my turn. I have the we're taking the baton. Exactly. We're not waiting for it to be passed. Exactly. <laughs> I've been in politics and, uh, for a long time, and I know that um that concept is very much alive and well in certain places. And it's, it's fantastic not only to see millennials say it's my turn, I'm taking my turn and to create effective and innovative campaigns and win. And I think it's really creating what you said in the new South. I think that is extremely exciting. And, uh, um, I know there's a lot more to come from from all of you. And, and, I, and I do apologize because I didn't answer your question. Sure. No, uh, I was uh, going to come back. To it. Go, <laughs> ahead. Go ahead, though. Uh, but as it relates to uh, my faith, um, I am a, a very uh, clearly as a member of the clergy. Uh, faith is uh, is very important, critical in my life. Uh, however, uh, I'm a big believer in separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my faith uh, is more cemented in understanding understanding our community. And so uh, many times, even being a member of the clergy, uh, 
that could be perceived as a negative uh, in politics today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've allowed uh, to dispel that because I think particularly being a Baptist associate pastor uh, in this wake of faith uh, that I wanted to make certain because it was my internal belief uh, that if you understand your faith, uh, irrespective of what faith it is, it's all about love. And I wanted to demonstrate that I would not allow negative connotations with faith to be a part of this process and i was going to be make certain that i was going to be a mayor uh, of equality yes uh, a mayor that irrespective of your race irrespective of your faith your culture uh, sexual orientation and gendered identity that if you were a citizen of little rock uh, we to if we're going to campaign on unifying this city we can't allow anything to dispel uh, equality well i i do think that's why as a mayor, um, what makes you as a leader so interesting and so transformative because you are bringing all of those values to your work and um, uh, infusing that in all that you do. And I totally understand all the separation of church and state, but things such as compassion Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, finding the commonality in all of us, uh, equality and thinking about how we address those things, particularly those who have been um, impacted by poverty, those who have been impacted by uh, structural racism Mm -hmm. and the like. And so I think and also intersectionality. Yes. And I think uh, one of the things that we wanted to make certain as we infuse this, uh, really the three core tenets in my life, it's, it's faith, it's, it's business, uh, and it's public policy. Uh, but as we uh, chart this course of unifying the city of Little Rock, we have to be intentional mm-hmm. uh, because you never receive the true uh, value of uh, diversity without that intentionality. And through that intentionality of understanding intersectionality, uh, it helps protect produce inclusion. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I think uh, has been very helpful for us. So following on that theme around equity, um, so fast forward 62 years from uh, Little Rock Nine, you're charting a new path forward for this city. Um, What are your thoughts about moving towards equity in Little Rock? Uh, It's a must. It's critical. And that's something that we will do. Uh, as long as we are elected in this office, one of the things we've been focusing on and we'll, we're going to, again, as I shared earlier, uh, it's uh, day 109 for us. We had um, a runoff election. And so our transition period time was shortened. So we started our transition team January 6th. It completed its work at the end of March. We're actually going to release our re- uh, transition report next week. And so part of that transition report uh, will show how we will address equity. We want to instill and appoint a chief equity equity officer for our city uh, and in addition that where this chief equity officer will be the uh, lead leader of our office of diversity uh, equity and inclusion uh, because we have to understand that while we we have to move past equality uh, because of uh, lived experiences we understand you understand that you can be equal but still not to be equitable and and so we want to make certain no matter who you are in the city of Little Rock that you have every opportunity Uh, to succeed. We'll be right back with Mayor Frank Scott Jr. after the break. Marking 400 years since enslaved Africans arrived in Jamestown, the film Black Boys seeks to illuminate the full spectrum of black male humanity in America through an intimate intergenerational conversation at the intersection of sports, 
Education, and Criminal Justice. With executive producer Malcolm Jenkins and director Sonia Lohman, Black Boys elevates an urgent and timely conversation on identity, opportunity, and equity to reimagine success for Black males in America. This is a Never Whisper Justice film. We must prepare our black boys with skills to survive and thrive. We must also change systems and institutions. They are often reduced to just being a body. You exist in a world where nobody sees you, but everybody sees you. And when they see you, your silhouette doesn't look like you, it's a monster. These young people don't need savers, they need believers. We're back with the Honorable Frank Scott Jr., Mayor of Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, so as you think about equity, what are you hearing from young black boys um, in Little Rock and how are you addressing what they tell you? Well, I understand uh, being a, a young um, black man and having grown up here uh, is that Little Rock uh, had become a place of choice and circumstance. And so uh, for those of us where it's a place of circumstances, because that uh, definite situations were not equitable. And so we want we again, I go back to it goes back to public policy. It goes back to intentionality uh, to truly understand that as our young boys are growing to be men, uh, that they have every opportunity to be successful uh, and in whatever realm of business or career field that they they chart. Uh, but we have to make certain that those opportunities are one available to them, two that they are aware of them. And as they are available and aware uh, that they are positioned uh, to be successful. So talk about uh, generally, uh, not only here in Little Rock, but throughout the country where uh, a lot of black boys and men are feeling disaffected, um, marginalized, Mm -hmm. feeling like they're treated like public enemy. Uh, You're seeing uh, on a daily basis things that are, you know, the atrocities that are happening um, to black boys and, and, and those perceptions persist. So how do we change the narrative? One, uh, we have to understand and discuss that there is a narrative. I think one of the things that we made a decision, uh, public safety is a top priority for me here in the city. Uh, and I had the opportunity to hire our, uh, my first uh, chief of police recently. Uh, one, understanding our city that there was a disconnect uh, and a need of repair between uh, our law enforcement and the community at large, particularly uh, with African-American males. And so I wanted to make certain whoever I hired, one, understood what community policing was. Uh, and then once you understand what community policing is, is that uh, we made certain that we understood what cultural competency is. And so when you understand cultural competency and you understand lived experiences and perspective, uh, it helps one to de-escalate situations a little bit more effectively uh, and to also understand implicit bias. And so as we understand implicit bias, we understand de-escalation tactics and cultural competency. It helps us grow as a city together and make certain that uh, the community understands that our law enforcement are working to protect and serve us and not to apprehend us. Um, But in the need to apprehend, of course, if you uh, disobey the law uh, and vice versa. So I I know we're we're talking about um, black boys and men, but talk about your thoughts about the future for young black girls here in Little Rock. Well, I think, one, I just have to applaud uh, women uh, in our city are really doing well. Uh, however, 
I'm not um, lost on the fact that black women uh, often, uh, you know, have a double bias that is pointed towards them. uh, One for being black and two for being a woman from a genderistic standpoint. And so uh, we are seeing our black women uh, truly uh, lead in our city. Uh, But we also, uh, just as we're focused on our black boys, we have to focus on our black women. Again, it goes back to economic violence. Uh, I think we always are speaking to education violence, but we have to focus on economic violence and what are we doing? Again, it goes to uh, how are we creating uh, true equity uh, from a gender standpoint as well as a racial standpoint? Uh, so I see great a bright future um, uh, for our women, but also have not lost the fact that even though there's a bright future, that they still are negatively affected uh, due to double biases. Well, I think we're going to end it here. I know you are extremely busy. You have a city to run. <laughs> it's You said it's day 109. So I just want to thank you so much. Uh, you are a very exciting leader, and I wish you nothing but the best uh, in your first term and in the future. So thank you for being with the podcast. Well, thank you so much. I'm very appreciative. You've been listening to another episode of Black Boys and Men, Changing the Narrative, which is produced by the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research at New York University. McSilver is committed to creating new knowledge about the root causes of poverty, developing evidence-based interventions to address its consequences, and rapidly translating research findings into action through policy and best practices. Learn more about the McSilver Institute at mcsilver.nyu.edu or on social media at nyumcsilver. Many thanks to Never Whisper Justice for their work on the second season of Black Boys and Men, Changing the Narrative. Listeners can find the latest episodes of the podcast series on multiple platforms, including Google Play Music, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. I'm Rose Pierre-Louis. Thank you for listening.